Let us pray. Dear God, we gather here today with eager hearts anticipating that we might hear from you. So Lord, we pray as you speak to us through your word that we may hear what it is you have to say to us today. Quiet within us those distractions, those worries and anxieties, those fears that seem to nibble at our attention. That we may focus on you. Lord, we pray that as we read from your word, as we study, as we listen, that we may recognize how freely you pour out your grace upon us and how you are calling us deeper and deeper into the Christian life. In Jesus' name, amen. We come today to Acts chapter 10, which is in the arc of the church one of the most important chapters in the New Testament. It is a chapter in which the understanding of the church's mission is expanded far beyond what they initially comprehended. Um, it's a story of Peter and Cornelius, but mostly it's a story about God changing expectations, about God challenging the traditions to which the community had held. And so we're, it's, a, it's a long chapter. And we're not, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but we're just going to kind of talk our way through it and hopefully by the end of it recognize what it is that makes it so foundational for the church and recognize what it has to teach us today. What it calls us to here and now in this time and place. And so I don't know about you, but this story about this Malaysian Airlines plane that has seemingly disappeared has fascinated me in a way that, that news stories uh, so rarely do. It has so completely drawn my attention to it, and, and stories of, of plane tragedies in a way always do. I think just the, the sheer sadness, the significance, and the pain that is suddenly brought upon communities, lives, families, um, that are just ripped apart in moments. And then this particular instance and the struggle that the global community has had to figure out what happened to this plane. There was initially this focused search. And then it seems like every day there is new information that expands where they are searching. We're talking about stolen passports one day, and then transponders, and then we're talking about um, pilots, and, and trying to figure out what has happened, satellite signals. 
They now suspect the plane may have flown on for another seven hours beyond where it disappeared. And each piece of new information has complicated the search. Each piece of new information has expanded the mission of the people trying to figure out what has happened to this plane. There's new information constantly and it challenges those who are trying to figure out the best next step. New information challenges us. And this is something that happens in our everyday lives. Uh, not too long ago, I took my car in for a tire rotation. $400 later, I drove out with two new tires. Because in the midst of that, new information suddenly came to light that my tires were about to explode. I don't know if that's exactly the way they put it. That's what I heard. But new information came to light that changed the present expectation and circumstances. Think of your favorite restaurant. The restaurant where you would go to if somebody said, um, you can go and I'll pay, but you have to go to this restaurant every day for the next seven days. Right? Think of that restaurant. You love it. You've never had a bad experience there. Now imagine you open the newspaper one day and you see their, their health rating. They failed their last health inspection. You suddenly have new information and you have to decide, do I trust the restaurant in which I've never had a bad experience? What do I do with this new information versus what I already know to be true? And this is the situation the church finds itself in in Acts 10. One of the things that, that we forget very easily in the 21st century is that the new church, they were all Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. It was this strongly Jewish community that followed, tried to follow the Jewish laws, the dietary restrictions, that they were within, they were really a sect within the Jewish community. And Christ didn't come to set up the Christian church against the Jewish church. Christ came to call people to a new understanding that he was the long-awaited Messiah. That this was a new chapter in Judaism. This was new information that changed their lives. But what we see is that the church, when Jesus came, when the Messiah for whom they had been waiting came, they saw this new information and they rejected it. They said, this does not fit with our expectation and so we're going to stay the church we have been rather than become something new to which you are calling us. And so the church then was trying to figure out, those who believed that Jesus was the Messiah, they were trying to figure out how do we live as this new church, this community of believers who believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, how do we live within this tradition? How we, you know, we still understand ourselves as Jewish, and how do we re continue to reach out to the Jewish community around us? And so that's where they are. And then we come to Acts chapter 10. And I want to read the first 16 
verses. In Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian cohort, as it was called. So this man is a Roman soldier, an occupying soldier. So he was not Jewish. But, in verse 2, it says, he was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed constantly to God. So we have Cornelius. He's a devout man who fears God and serves the people around him. But, he cannot have full status within the church because he's not Jewish. Think of it, one of the questions we wrestle with today in this country is immigration, right? So think of an, um, somebody who has come to this country who does not have legal status. But think of it as somebody who is, contributes to the life of the country, who is an upstanding member in society, who owns their own business, who pays taxes. But they don't have legal status, right? So they can't fully participate in life of the country, and yet they do everything they can to serve the country. This is somewhat akin to Cornelius' situation. He fears God. He serves those who are around him. And yet, he cannot have full inclusion. Because he's not Jewish. I promise I won't do this with every verse. Verse 3. One afternoon at about 3 o'clock, he had a vision in which he clearly saw an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. He stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? He answered, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa for a certain Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with Simon a Tanner, whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had left, he called two of his slaves and a devout soldier from the ranks of those who served him. And after telling them everything, he sent them to Joppa. About the noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the heaven open and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him again a second time, What God has made clean you must not call profane. This happened three times and the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. So we have these two men who have these visions from God. And Cornelius gets the easier one. He's called to send for Peter and have Peter come. Peter also has a vision. And in it is this large sheet with these animals and reptiles and birds all grouped together in it. And there's all sorts of animals that are clean as well as unclean. And what we know from the Old Testament is that the Jewish dietary laws were very strict about what they could eat and what they couldn't eat. 
And yet, here Peter has this vision abolishing that tradition, abolishing those dietary laws, those laws that set the Jewish community apart, those laws that, that give them their identity. And so Peter's wrestling. He has this new information that challenges these old traditions. And so he's trying to figure out, how do I understand what God is calling the faith community to be and to do? How do I understand what it means to be faithful to God in light of this new information? And what Peter understands in this middle part of this chapter is that being faithful to God is not about cultural identity. It's not about heritage. It's not about tradition. It's not what happened in the past, but being faithful to God, as we're going to hear, is about people who are willing to fear God and serve the people around them. It's no longer just a cultural assumption, but it's a way of life, and anyone willing to serve God is welcome into that way of life. And what this does, this new information, is it expands the mission of the church from just serving the Jewish folks to the whole world. And you and I are legacies of what happens in this chapter because we who are the Gentiles are now welcome into the church. We are invited to be a part of this tradition that says it doesn't matter necessarily what kind of culture we have. What matters is whether or not we're willing to center our lives around the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Peter says, starting in verse 34, he says, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. In every nation, anyone who fears God and does what is right is acceptable to God. You know the message He sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism John announced. How God announced Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. How he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all he did in Judea and Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. There are no longer barriers to faith. There are no longer classes of Christians. You are no longer required to stay in the outer courtyard of the temple if you are not clean enough to enter in. But this is 
the chapter in which God announces to the church that their mission is that every single person on the earth is welcome in the church if they are willing to repent and believe in His name. If they are willing to fear God and serve the people around them. This is this monumental piece of new information that makes them challenge and look back and examine their old traditions and recognize what's good and what has to be left behind. Because what happens is the church, we get caught up in traditions. And that's what had happened to the Pharisees, that Jesus was constantly challenging. They loved their traditions, and their traditions had become their religion. They were unwilling to consider new information. They were stuck in tradition. And what we have to do is examine our traditions, because some of them are good and wonderful and rich, and they enrich our life and our worship together. And they help us focus ourselves on Christ. But sometimes, traditions become empty practices that we cling to because we've been doing them for a long time. And we need to keep doing them for a long time because it's what we've always done. And so God is challenging us of how do we be the church today? And how do we hear new information? And how do we examine our traditions in light of that? Because we are... The church, reformed and always being reformed according to the word of God. And so we read scripture. And we pray for God to show us how to be faithful. Notice when these visions showed up for Peter and Cornelius. It's when they were praying. It's when they set time aside to be in the presence of God. And listen to what he had to say to them. And so may we as a church be a praying church. May we read scripture and understand our history so that we may hear how God is calling us to be the church today. And of all the new information that's out there, may we listen with discerning hearts, hearts grounded in scripture to understand how God continues to call the church to proclaim His name to proclaim eternal life through, through repentance and forgiveness of sins. May we as the church cling to Christ and hear how He is calling us today. Let us pray. Gracious and holy God, You continue to call us today. You call us into new life each and every day. You pour out Your grace upon us. And so we pray, Lord God, for hearts willing to listen. We pray, Lord God, that we may be anchored in You. That we may be rooted in You. That when You call, we may hear what You have to say to us. And that we may follow You with courage and boldness wherever You may lead. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Yeah.